Tonight is a, is a difficult topic. You can see from the title, I am convinced. I almost didn't present it. I thought, you know what, Lord, we don't need to cover this this week. Anyone who's familiar with me and Renewed Heart Ministries is pretty familiar with where we stand on this subject and what we share about it. We don't really need to cover it this week. And as I was toying with talking about something different this evening, that day there were multiple people that came up and asked the very question that I was going to skip. So I felt that was the Lord saying, well, maybe there's someone here who does need to hear this. And if you have heard us present this before, maybe you just need to be reminded. So I don't know what your situation is tonight or where you're at, but I am passionate about this subject so much so that it, it's rare that I will give a series without covering this topic. It is the single greatest question that both folks within the church and outside of the church are asking today. In the secular world today, people are asking, if God's so good, like everyone says, then why? That's what they're asking. And it's not just the postmoderns that are asking, you know, why, how, how do you make all this make sense with a good God? We ask that too in our heart of hearts, don't we? I mean, we're Christians and we still wrestle with that. Is there anybody here tonight that's ever suffered anything? No matter how large or small, anyone ever suffered something? You can't go from birth to the grave and not suffer something on this planet. And I know there are some of you in this room tonight that have suffered far more than I ever will. I'm not saying I've suffered more than you at all. But I've suffered too. I know what it feels like to hurt. What I'm going to share this evening is an intellectual approach to a very emotionally charged subject. Do you understand what that means? That means when someone's hurting, they don't need to hear what I'm about to say. They need you just to shut up and listen, not talk. They don't need answers. They need sympathy, and empathy, and someone to just sit there with them. Tonight's presentation is going to raise questions about the book of Job, and we're going to cover those tomorrow morning. So you're going to talk about Job on Sabbath morning? Yeah, because there's something really cool in there that I think will bless your socks off, so you don't want to miss it. I <laughs> have. You guys don't say that out here. You understand what it means. I'm from West Virginia. You invited me, so it's your fault. I want you to understand that what I'm about to share in the next 40 minutes is not something, 50 minutes, is not something that I just cooked up sitting behind my desk one day. My wife and I have a 13-year-old, a 7-year-old, and a 2-year-old. Some people have said, oh, you guys are on the five-year plan. But we didn't plan. How many years are between my two oldest children? Six. My wife and I never chose to put six years between our first two kids. My wife and I have had the tragedy of burying two children. And I don't share that this evening to try to evoke any sympathy from you because my wife and I aren't in need of that. I just simply want you to know that the person who's standing up here talking to you this evening is not speaking to you as a preacher. 
or a theologian or even a Bible student, but as a fellow human being who knows what it feels like to hurt. And it's my hope that what I'm about to share will comfort you with the comfort that it's given me. I know it won't answer all the questions, but there is a different way of looking at it. My wife and I, we were living in Tennessee. It was two stillbirths, actually. My wife and I were living in Tennessee for the first one, and I was working in Alabama that day. I had one of those jobs that even back then put me on the road almost more than I am now, but it was driving instead of flying, which there was a time where I thought that was better, but now I'd rather drive than fly. Flying's awful. Anybody fly for work? It's just getting worse and worse. But I was in Alabama, and it was back before cell phones were really popular. I mean, you had to be in really good business to have a cell phone. So my work gave me a pager. I hate pagers. And I looked down one day, and on this pager was 911. Well, that was the code. We're off to the hospital. And I thought, that's nuts. It, we're only seven months into this. So I got to the nearest payphone and called, and you have to understand my wife is a hippie. Do you understand what that means? If you're a hippie, if you're a hippie, please don't take offense to this, but that woman won't even take a Tylenol. Okay, do you understand? She is a complete yes. And so our first child, we were having it delivered at home. Allie, our oldest child, was delivered at home by a midwife. That's kind of a misnomer. We saw the midwife multiple times while she was pregnant, but the actual delivery, because it was at home and not in a hospital, was done by yours truly. And so the midwife showed up 15 minutes after the baby was out. What do you do with this? Help! Wasn't trained for this. Ladies, I'm sorry. It was the most disgusting thing I've ever experienced in my life. I was so thankful that I could not remember past four as a kid. What's that? Give it a try? No thanks. Trying to quit. (laughs) But I called on the second one. I called... The midwife picked up the phone and said, we can't find a heartbeat. We need you to come quickly. And so I flew probably faster than my guardian angels could catch on the way home. And it was a very grueling experience. We went to the hospital at that point. And although the doctor was very professional, at one moment he was overcome with emotion And he just had to leave the room. I looked at the nurse and I asked what that was all about. He said, well, he just delivered a child to a 14-year-old down the hall who doesn't even want her child. And here he's delivering one that has passed away here to you. And people say the stupidest things to you when you're hurting. Anyone ever notice that? People would ask, well, Herb, how do you make sense out of what you're going through with what you preach? How do you make that work? 
I had some friends that say, well, Herb, I thought stuff like this wasn't supposed to happen to people like you. I mean, you're a preacher. Other people would say, well, maybe God has a, something for you to learn in this, which makes it worse. Don't say that to people. Someone said, well, maybe God has someone he wants you to reach in the hospital. Okay, so now God's modus operandi for evangelism is killing babies. It's just sick, some of the stuff we say. But what I, my typical answer during all of that was, I don't know how to make sense with what I teach. I don't know how to make what I teach make sense with what I'm going through right now. But right now, all I've got left is God is love. And though I don't understand any of this, I'm not letting go of that. Because that's it. That's That's all I got to hold on to. Well, we got through that. We could see God's hand at each step afterwards, comforting and holding and getting us through. And then we moved to Florida. Anybody from Florida? I'm so sorry. (laughs) We lived two years there. And I'm just so convinced God never meant that area to be inhabited. <laughs> but some people are from there, and so I... Do you know where Groveland is? Leesburg? Yeah, the West Coast, Fort Myers. Uh, yeah, yeah it's, it was the armpit of Florida. It, yes, it was awful. Maybe. Maybe. I mean, we had bugs bigger than our car. Because they never die down there. They just keep growing. You know something about that because your bugs never die here too. Isn't that right? But it's not humid here. We were living down in Florida and you can imagine we got to the seventh month and it was a little tenuous. We got through the seventh month, got through the eighth month, got through the ninth month. The day the baby was due, my wife said, Herb, I haven't felt any movement all day today. I said, well, let's not panic. Drink some orange juice and let's go to the hospital. Because orange juice usually makes them do backflips, right? So we got in the car and I flew into Orlando to the hospital there. And I'll never forget as my wife was laying on the, the, whatever the exam table was there and the ultrasound was with the... And the... Never forget the tone of the doctor's voice, knowing what we had gone through. She just hung her head. She said, I'm so sorry. I picked my wife up in my arms there in that hospital bed, and I held her close. And I remember her laying her head on my shoulder and her whispering these words. She said, dear God. I just don't think I can do this again. And I laid her down in that hospital bed and I walked out into that hallway and I wish tonight I could tell you that I was holding on to God is love that next time. But this time I was broken. And I said things to God in that hospital hallway that I will always regret. But I am thankful that his chest is big enough for us to beat on it when we don't understand. Amen. I didn't have it together then. And I went through a very dark journey. 
that led me to the conclusions that I'm going to share with you this evening. You don't have to agree with what I'm about to share. That's okay. Each one of us has to find what works for us. But I can still attest that no matter what I've gone through, it's taken me a long time to get back to this place. That the God of this universe is love. Christianity today gives us two categories to work with. The first one is there are things God can prevent and He does. How many have ever had God intervene in your life before and do something? Anyone ever had God answer prayer before? Yeah. But you know, it's not the prayers He answers that keep us up late at night. Am I right? Category number two is things that He could answer, but he chooses not to for a good what? Reason. Write these down in your grace section so you'll remember them because they're not in your notes. And why would a good God ever say no to us? Because sometimes God knows what's better for us. Isn't that true? And this works. For some things, I mean, I remember when I was a brand new Adventist, a brand new driver, had my first car, I hated stopping for gas. Anybody go through that? Did you have to learn the hard way to stop for gas? Anybody here have to learn the hard way? I just, I wanted to drive and drive and drive. Stopping for gas was a waste of time. But what I learned was walking for gas was an even bigger waste of time. <laughs> so I pull over on the side of the road because I'd run out. And you have to understand a little bit of the context. Five minutes previous to this, it was the Sabbath. And I had just said, you know, it's the Sabbath, so I'm not going to buy gas today. Even though it says empty and God can just get me home. Now, did God have the power to keep my car going if he should so choose? Yes. And I was praying. And then I was on the side of the road. Guess what I was asking? Why? And do you know what he was teaching me at that moment? Buy some gas, simple. Be a little prepared. So it works for that category, amen? He could have done it, but he's wanting to teach me some lessons. Recently, I was in a church in Oregon, and the children's story was about this wife was telling stories on her husband, which is, those always make good children's stories. But this was one about a husband who depended on the airlines for his livelihood. And he was late one day for a, a, a flight. And he was just praying to God unceasingly that God would help him make the plane. Well, every time he prayed, something went wrong. You ever had that happen before? It's not going the way you're expecting it to. So much so, true story, at one point that morning, his car was on the side of the road and wouldn't start. 
which only delayed him even further. Finally, he gets to the airport. He gets checked in. He is running to the gate. Anyone ever been there? (laughs) Running to the gate. He gets to the gate only to find out the plane left. He said, has flight so-and-so left yet? She said at the behind the desk, she said, yes, it left 30 minutes ago. But it crashed at the end of the runway. And we say, praise God. But you know what I say? Didn't God love the other people on the plane? So how do you make sense out of that? Am I the only one that ever wrestles with stuff like this? I mean, so the 16-year-old whose mother is praying for her, who's a new driver, makes it home safely. The other 16-year-old whose mother is at home praying for her gets hit by a drunk driver and killed. Both mothers were praying, and don't tell me one was more righteous than the other. How do we make sense out of that stuff? It seems so random. The intervention of God at times seems so arbitrary. Whom he chooses to intervene with and whom he chooses not to. And we are sit here, we're left here holding all the pieces, trying to make sense, come up with some answer that leaves God standing there as a good God. And sometimes it's just not easy. Well, the Bible actually offers, matter of fact, the, 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 before we get to that, the, the hardest time that I have is trying to fit things like rape and child molestation into category two. Do those things happen on planet Earth? But are you willing to say that God could have but chose for a good reason not to? I mean, think, think that through. Do the ends really justify the means? There's a book that just came out called Finding the Father. (laughs) I know the author personally. There are four chapters on this subject in the heart of that book. And I want to encourage you, tonight's not going to answer it all, but I want to encourage you to pick that up or go online and download the the presentations online where we go into it much deeper. The ends don't justify the means, brothers and sisters. And there are some things that people are suffering on this planet that I don't care what the lesson is. No lesson would justify what they're going through. There has to be another answer to this than just what modern Christianity is. And matter of fact, the Bible does give us a third category. And Adventism gives us a third category. We haven't fleshed it out and seen it yet, but we have the potential to actually, because of our system of beliefs, we have the ability to give the best answer to this question than any other Christian on the planet, and we're still scratching our heads. We haven't fleshed it out. How many would like to know what that is tonight? How many would be willing to spend some time here this evening fleshing it out with me? I remember early in my preaching career, I was doing a series of meetings in Canada. Any Canadians here? All right, I'll be careful. No, I like Canada a whole lot. They're very convenient when there's a draft. No, just kidding. Just kidding. I'm just kidding. Bad joke. I know. George is going to lecture me later. I was up in Canada doing a series of meetings recently, and 
No, it was in the beginning. It was a long time ago. And this lady, I remember, I got down to about night number four. And the question is always the same. If, if what you're saying is true, if God loves me so much, and then here it comes. Anybody ever been slapped? Do you know that look in someone's eye right before their hand makes contact with your face? I finished night number three or four and and everyone's departing and then this lady stands up from the back pew. She's walking down the center aisle of this church for yours truly and from the back of the church she had that look in her eye. She comes up to me. She gets this close. Now, I know most preachers exaggerate, but this is no exaggeration. She was right in my face. She stuck her finger on my chest. She said, don't you dare tell me that God loves me. Now, being raised by a mother who at a very young age had taught me when to open my mouth in response to an angry woman and when to keep it shut. I did the only thing I knew to do with this lady. I took one step back and I let her vent. Do I have permission to share with you what she said next? You have to own up to that. Because it's not pretty. She looked at me and she said, if God loves me the way that you say he does, then why did he allow me to be sexually abused as a child by my father who was an Adventist minister? Does that happen? Yes. We don't like to admit it. The comfort level in this room is gone right now, isn't it? We're very uncomfortable that I would even bring up something like that. I think we need to address it. Because the world we're living in today are asking tougher questions than what they were asking 50 years ago. They were asking them 50 years ago, but culture did not permit it. We are much more bold and much more brazen these days. And I'm still convinced that we spend the majority of our time perfecting answers to questions that no one out there is asking. While the questions that they are asking make us far too uncomfortable to look at honestly. I think it's good that we're uncomfortable tonight for two reasons. Number one, these things happen and we should never be comfortable with them. Amen? I think it's good that we're uncomfortable with this. But number two, the real reason we're uncomfortable, I think, is not really the gross injustice of it. I don't think we're really uncomfortable from that standpoint. I think the real reason we're uncomfortable is because when we have to face this topic, the truth is we really don't know how to answer this. Am I right? We don't have a good answer. We skirt around it. Part of it has to do with our logic. Sorry. That was an accident. Subliminal advertising. (laughs) Write these four words down. The first one I want you to write down is wanted. The second one is could. The third one is didn't, the fourth one is wanted once again. What are they saying with me? Wanted, could, didn't, wanted. This is how we logically reason our way through the issue of human suffering. We assume that if God 
wanted to prevent something that he, since he, we assume he must have wanted it to happen for some good reason. And that's why when something happens to us on this planet, what direction do we always look? Upward. And what question do we ask? Why? I thought you loved me, God. Why did you want this to happen to me? And we'll never say God did it. We're too smart for that. But we will say that he... And I struggle with that. Because if a child is being abused at home by one parent and the other parent knows about it, has the power to stop it, but chooses for some good reason to allow it, in the heart of that child, is there any difference between those two parents? Satan wreaks havoc in our life and we never look at the devil and say, why are you doing this to me? We always look where? To God and say, why are you allowing him to do this to me? Am I making this up? And it's all because of this reasoning right here. Well, there's some faulty parts of the way we look at it. And, and we, need to, we need to look at it just coolly and calmly and collectively first. Number one, if this is true, we would have to assume then that everything is happening just the way God wants it. That right there should raise some red flags. Amen? That's right. Is everything happening just the way God wants it? So you're telling me there's some things happening that God doesn't want to happen, but they're happening anyways. Is that true? Yes. Some people say, no, Herb, everything happens according to God's plan or according to God's will or according to his script, yes, or purpose. And that one sells a lot of books. But I'm going to ask you tonight, what does the Bible really teach? The non-religious will say everything happens for a reason. I'm not going to ask you whether you believe that or not tonight. I'm just going to ask you whether it's biblical. What does the Bible have? Not culture. What does the Bible have to say? Well, let's look at it. Isaiah 5 verse 20. The warning has been given. Woe to those who call evil what? Some people have said to me, Herb, you just need to see it from God's perspective. If you could see the big picture, if you could see it from God's perspective, you would see that what is happening to you is really a blessing. And one day he's going to show you why this is happening to you. Do you know what you're effectively doing in that moment? You're taking something that is evil and what are you doing with it? You're calling it something good. Why can't we just let evil be evil? Amen? And like Jesus say, an enemy has done this. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil. Who substitute darkness for light and light for darkness. Who substitute the bitter for the sweet and the sweet for the bitter. Is it possible... Is everything happening just the way God wants it? Or is it possible to, to delay God's will? Is it possible to delay God's will? Is it possible to thwart God's will? Is it possible to prevent God's will from happening? Is it possible to prevent God's will from even ever happening throughout the ceaseless ages of eternity? Oh, I like you guys. Once again, a difference of opinion. 
we're Americans. Let's vote. <laughs> How many say, if God wants it, eventually he is going to bring it to pass. You cannot indeterminately forever prevent that from happening. Someday it's going to happen. You cannot prevent his will from ever happening throughout the ceaseless ages of eternity. Okay, how many are willing to say, yes, God could want something, but you could prevent it from ever happening throughout the ceaseless ages of eternity? It's not a trick question. Is it possible to prevent God's will from ever happening throughout the ceaseless ages of eternity? Yes or no? Some of you are saying no still. Well, let's look at it. Because it doesn't matter what you say. It doesn't matter what I say. It only matters what the... That's right. Look at 1 Timothy 2 verse 4. Who desires how many? How many? To be what? And to come to a knowledge of the... 2 Peter says the Lord is not slow about his promise. As some count slowness, but is... Toward you not wishing for... Any to what? But that how many? Would come to what? This is wild. So how many does God want to be saved? How many does he want to come to the truth? How many does he want to repent? How many does he want to perish? That's right. That last one's different. Gotcha. Got to pay attention. All, 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 none. Is that God's will? Are there going to be some people who prevent that from ever happening, even throughout the ceaseless ages of eternity? So we're all agreed. God could want something. And depending on what it is, you could prevent it from ever happening. Some say, no, God, no, Herb, if it's God's will, all you need to do is learn how to pray God's will. And, and, and get a whole bunch of people praying too. Because where two or more are gathered, and all of that is true, but we bend it into creating a God who turns out just to be a vending machine. That if we can just get enough votes, he'll do it. perfect example is I want Uncle Joe, my Uncle Joe to be in heaven. That's my will. It's what I want. Does God want the same thing? So I'm praying according to God's will, am I not? Now I'm going to go and ask my wife to pray with me. So now two or more are praying, okay? And now we're going to pray in Jesus' name too. Have we covered all the bases? Yes. So Uncle Joe's just going to be in heaven now, amen? Is there anyone else who has a say in the matter? Yeah, what about Uncle Joe? Luke 7, verse 30, it says the Pharisees and the lawyers, what did they do? They rejected the will of God for themselves, not having been baptized by him. According to this verse, is it possible to reject God's will? Yeah, yeah. Now, some will still look at this verse and say no. Have you ever met those Christians? They'll say, Herb, you don't understand. Even in rejecting God's will, they were following God's will because it was God's will for them to reject his will. And you let your own neurons fry over that stuff. I'd rather take it as it reads. Is it possible to prevent God's will? Some will say, no, Herb, nothing happens on this planet unless omnipotence wills it to happen. In other words, we've got this idea that God's will is just going to be done all around us. That he's in control. 
I wrestle with that because, man, if this is the kind of world that exists when God's in control, heaven's going to be a scary place. Just being honest. In Matthew 6, verse 10, Jesus taught us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it's done in heaven. He asked us to pray for that to happen. Do you know what that implies? That in many cases, it's not happening. And it won't happen unless somebody's what? And sometimes even prayer doesn't do it. It's much bigger. Yes, it does. We'll talk about prayer before we're done tonight. Maybe it won't. Once again, it's not the prayers he answers that keep us up late at night. I know he answers prayer, but has anyone ever here been frustrated over a prayer that wasn't answered? And don't say, well, God always answers a prayer. Sometimes he says no. There are some things I have prayed for that please tell me he did not say no to. Please. There has to be another option. I know, I'm just stirring up the pot right now. I'm just trying to get us to be honest. We're going to answer some of these questions, but we need to be honest. Get the cliches off the table and start looking at reality. This whole control idea. How many have ever heard that phrase, God is in control? That frustrates me. It gives some people a good sense of security. And it works until something really bad happens. And then if he's in control, who's to blame? And when you need him the most, your heart's strangely estranged from his. There's a fallout to believing that. And some say, well, Herb, no, listen, if I were to control everything my wife did, like I could, but let's say I tried, all right? I determined when she woke up in the morning, what she did all day long, what she did in her afternoon activities, what she did for dinner, what she did in her evening free time. I, I so, when she went to bed, I so meticulously controlled her day. I, I determined who she was going to talk to, what she was going to talk about, what they were going to say to her, what they weren't. I even, I even scheduled in for this woman bathroom breaks. Do you get the picture? Would you say I was the most loving husband to ever walk the planet? No. What would you call me instead? Drop the word control. What would I be? Just a freak. Dead. Thank you. Yes. <laughs> We look at people that have to meticulously control things and we say they are emotionally and intellectually unhealthy. If you love someone, what are you going to grant them? So you can start off with one of two pictures. God is in control. Or you can start off with God is love. And if you start off with that, then you have to admit that what God grants is what? Freedom. And you cannot meticulously control everything and grant freedom at the same time. Are you hearing me tonight? The last time I checked, freedom and control, they're not synonyms. What are they? They're opposites. That's right. They're antonyms. They're opposites. Now, some say, well, Herb, aren't there some things God's in control of? Yes! I'm thankful he's in control of keeping my heart beating right now. Amen? If he left it up to me, I'd forget. 
what happened to Herb? He forgot again. So anybody know CPR? Yeah, I'm thankful that he is in control of that. But just because he's controlling some things, does that mean he's meticulously controlling everything? Or has he granted humanity the ability to pick and choose some of the things that happen and some of the things that don't? And specifically in the areas of relationship. And those are the most painful. Because in order for us to experience love, we must have some level of freedom to not love. Isn't that true? But if we choose to not love, to withhold love, and not just withhold it, but actually actively hurt instead of bless. God gave us freedom so that we could love each other, not hurt each other. Amen? But if it's genuine freedom to do one or the other and we choose to hurt each other with it, who's at fault? We can't handle that, though. We can't handle that. We can't handle this being our fault. It is much easier to blame God or the devil. Isn't it? I mean, anybody watch when a crisis happens? I mean, right now we're blaming BP, which kind of is, you know, easy, because that's not us. Although we put it in our gas tanks for the last 20 years. Never mind. But like New Orleans, anyone remember when New Orleans was flooded? Anybody watch the news back then? I had the chance to go to New Orleans this year. I did the camp meeting at Southern Louisiana, and so I took a day, an extra day while I was there, and toured around New Orleans. It was quite an education. Not that part of New Orleans. But looking at the flood damage. When you watch that on CNN every night or Fox or MSNBC, depending on what slant you want, you'll notice one of three things happened every night. God got blamed for things he didn't do. Did anybody see that? God got, things for, got blamed for things he didn't do. The devil got blamed for things he didn't do, too. I mean, the devil didn't build the levees back then. Am I right? So God got blamed for things he didn't do. Satan got blamed for things he didn't do, and man took credit for stuff he doesn't even have the ability to pull off. How many saw that happening every night? But that's how we address it. It is much easier to blame God and the devil for what's going on on this planet. And I have asked people repeatedly, audience after audience, think of the big picture. Whose will is ultimately being done right now? And I have over and over had people resoundingly say, the devil's. But you know what's wrong with that? Nobody here can say the devil made me do it. Ultimately, whose will is being done on planet Earth tonight? Ours. Now, maybe not ours individually. Are you hearing me? But ours collectively. And as unfair and unjust as this is, the Bible never says that what we do to each other is always just. The Bible only says that what God always does is just. And if something seems unfair to you, hello... It is. And it should have never happened to you. And if God's will could have been done in that situation, it would have never happened because God is fair and just. And if something seems unjust and unfair, that is proof positive that God had nothing to do with it. Some human being somewhere was not just violating your will, but he was violating the will of God too. 
We don't understand what freedom means for God. Psalms 115 verse 16. The heaven, even the heavens, they are the Lord's, but the earth he has given to the children of men. I contend that to a large degree, most of the suffering on this planet is happening not because God is up there ordaining it or willing it or orchestrating it or allowing it. What God is allowing simply is for us to have a little bit of freedom. And we're choosing to take that freedom and wreak havoc in other people's lives with it. Intentionally and unintentionally. Are you hearing me? A baby is born addicted to crack. Is that fair to the child? Did God will for that child to be born that way? No. But who made that decision? The mother who drinks while she's pregnant. And I'm not condemning anybody. I'm just saying if that baby is born with birth defects, God did not ordain that. Who chose for that to exist? And some say, well, Herb, God should prevent stuff like that. Well, I agree. I mean, why stop there? God should prevent all rape, too. I mean, that's awful. And don't stop there. God should prevent all child molestation, too. Amen? And God should prevent not just rape and child molestation. God should prevent all murder. I mean, don't stop. God should just prevent all sin. But for him to do that, what would he have to step into? A a position of? And what would he take away from us? And therefore, what would we never experience? Love. Do you understand? Freedom is vital for us to experience what we were made for. But freedom comes at a great risk that we will hurt each other. But please, God is not sitting up there controlling it saying, well, this can happen and this can't. And this can happen and this can't. That is not the position God is in. God is granting humanity freedom and hoping we'll love each other with it instead of hurt each other. Freedom has to be part of the equation. And I'll explain to you why. Can God make you love him? Now, I didn't say will he. We all agree that God won't make us love him, but could he? Here we go again. Let's say I invented a computer chip. And this computer, computer chip messed with the electromagnetic waves of a person's brain. And, and I took this computer chip, I programmed it, and it has a little adhesive strip. I stuck it right behind my wife's ear, right on there. She woke up, man, I was the best thing since sliced bread. In that moment, is my wife loving me? No. Who, what's loving me? The chip. And who's loving me? Yes, because I programmed the... I'm just loving my... Through my wife. That's sick. Isn't it? I'm just using her to love me. And really, in all honesty, love by definition, write this down, is other-centeredness. It's something that begins with me and ends with someone else. And although I believe in self-respect, I believe in self-esteem, I believe in self-worth, brothers and sisters, if it starts with you and ends with you, call it anything else, but don't call it love. So even what's happening between my wife and I right now with this chip in place, would we even be able to call it love? I agree with some of you. God could come down here and wiggle the wires around in our head. True. But in that moment, who would be loving him? Himself. And it would no longer be other-centered. It would be self-centered. And therefore, you can't even call it love anymore. So can even God make you love him? 
No. And it's not because God's impotent. It's because of the nature of love. Are you hearing me tonight? We need to understand some of things, these things in a much greater detail. I mean, can God really do anything? Is there anything impossible for God? Thank you. The Bible does say there are things impossible for God. That may come as a shock to some of you. Christian culture will tell you, no, nothing impossible for God. Anybody read in the book of Hebrews where it says that God swore by two immutable things in that it was impossible for him to what? Anybody ever read that statement? Oh. Oh. So lying is impossible for him. Some will say, well, Herb, I don't know. No, there's another verse. Look at it. Titus 1 verse 2. In the hope of eternal life, which God who, what's that word? Cannot what? Lie. So there's at least one thing the Bible teaches God can't do. How many, are, how many see that so far? Some say, well, Herb, doesn't that limit God? No. No. The Bible also says that if we are faithless, he will remain faithful for he cannot deny himself. How many are thankful for that? And, and some of you are struggling, but I've already led you down the primrose path. You don't even know it because already twice tonight you've admitted to me that he can't do some things. You've told me he can't control you while granting you freedom at the same time. Didn't you tell me that? And you also told me he can't make you love him. Didn't you tell me that? So are there some things that not because he's weak, but just because the very nature of those things, God can't do that. They're impossibilities because of what they are. And if that's true, then we have a third category tonight, brothers and sisters. We assume if God wanted to prevent something that he what? Could. But I contest that because of freedom, not only is there a category where he can and he does. He could and he doesn't. There's a third category. Because of human freedom, there are times when he wants to desperately. But he what? Can't. And some will say, well, Herb, if God can't do things, then why pray? Let me step back a couple steps. If God's will is automatically going to happen, why pray? It becomes just an empty ritual. But prayer is something very much more dynamic than what we've assumed it to be. There are two things on this planet. I want you to imagine tonight over here a giant pole. And this pole is called divine control. Everyone see it? Imagine it with me. Everyone see it? You see it? Say yes. yes. Okay. <laughs> over here is another pole. It's called human freedom. Everyone see that pole? Now, everything that happens on this planet falls somewhere on a continuum between divine control and human freedom. Some things happen very close to divine control, and there's very little human freedoms involved. And is it easy or hard in these situations for God's will to be done? Easy. But things that are over here that are closer to human freedom, they have more human freedom involved and less divine control. Are these... These things, are they easier or harder for God's will to be done in these situations? They're much harder. And so what do we need to do in this situation? Pray. Because what does prayer do? It gives God greater control than he otherwise would have had. It drags it further over here. 
It doesn't guarantee that it'll shove it all the way over. Are you hearing me? But does it move it? Yes. And we have no guarantees. But do we have an advantage in praying? Is there a greater potential that God's will could be done if we're praying? But sometimes we can pray and yet it's still not happen. But yet still pray nonetheless because you increase sorry. You increase God's ability to intervene. Prayer, listen very closely. Prayer is not the convincing of God to do what he otherwise wouldn't. Prayer is enabling God to do what he otherwise couldn't. Are you hearing me tonight? So is that bug. He's not liking it. Look at Ecclesiastes 9.11. I saw under the sun that the race is not to the swift, the battle is not to the warriors, neither is bread to the wise, nor wealth to the discerning, nor favor to men of ability for time and, what's that word? Chance happens to how many? The only way that chance could happen. What's another word for chance? I know you hate this, but what's another word for? I am stretching you out of culture back into, back into biblical understanding tonight. What's another word for chance? Maybe gamble. But no, that's not what I was looking for. Risk is involved with chance. It's involved. What's another word for chance? Something happens by chance. It happens by... Co... Coincidence. Some people say there's no such thing as coincidence because God is in... But the Bible teaches that chance happens to how many? Why? Because God has chosen not to control some things. He's granted us freedom. And in our heart of hearts, we know this. That's why we buy life insurance and we buy home insurance and we buy car insurance. I mean, really, if nothing's going to happen to you but what God wants to happen, why have insurance at all? Unless you're just trying to cash in on what God's plan for you is. Milk the system. Well, it might be the law too. Let me try to illustrate through a story. And some of you heard this story before. And if you have, just ignore it. Act like you haven't. I had two friends. They're no longer my friends. You'll figure out why. They were having a birthday in Seattle. And I was living about three hours north of Spokane. Those are about seven hours apart from each other at that time. And they were having a birthday around the same week. And so I called them up and I said, hey, you guys are having a birthday around the same week. Why don't you drive over to my house so I can celebrate your birthday with you? I'm not a good friend. Being my friend is very hard. It was real silent. They said, uh, Herb, the protocol of friendship states it's our birthday. That means you drive seven hours to our house to celebrate our birthday with us. I said, well, I was hoping it wouldn't come to this. But let's say that you drive seven hours to my house. I will take you to the nearest grocery store and you can choose anything you want for your birthday. And I will purchase. I will pay for your birthday party with my wallet. I think they thought that was a good idea because seven hours later they were on my doorstep. And I was true to my word. I took them to the grocery store. And the first thing they got out of the freezer was that natural vanilla Briars ice cream. Anyone ever had that stuff? Yeah. Now, I don't want to be misunderstood. I have to say this every time in this part of the story. 
I know we have a health message. <laughs> and I want you to hear me saying from an Adventist pulpit very clearly, ice cream is not good for you. Did everybody hear me say that? <laughs> Do not eat it. Did you hear me say that? Everyone got it? All right, good luck with that. You're on your own now. But they got this thing of natural vanilla Briar's ice cream and they stuck that in the cart. And this was so difficult for me because those of you who've had it, it's different. Anyone else agree? Oh, yeah. You only get Briar's. Yes. There's a reason. You look at the side of other ice creams and there's like a paragraph of ingredients. Some of which you have to have a college degree to understand. I mean, it's ice cream for crying out loud. What is exanthium gum? <laughs> and some of you are nutritionalists and you know, and you're going to come up to me afterwards and tell me, I don't want to know. <laughs> Just get it out of my ice cream. You flip over to Briars, and it's four ingredients. Amen. Milk. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Marilyn. <laughs> Milk, sugar, vanilla. Cream. I know what those are. I can kill myself with my eyes wide open. Nothing's going to sneak up on me. But I just got this thing of natural vanilla Briar's ice cream. I picked it up out of the shopping cart. I just looked at them. Do you know what look I'm talking about? Have you ever gotten that look at a potluck? And you're eating something you probably shouldn't? You ever given that look at a potluck when someone else was eating something they should? It's that look that no words exchange. It's that, how could you? You health sinner. So I gave him that look. And I put the ice cream back. And I got out one of those artificially flavored ice cream substitutes and I'm honest with you tonight I don't remember which kind it was but those things scare me worse than ice cream and I'll tell you why because those frozen culinary substances are made out of one of two things rice or a bean has anyone ever, everyone, anyone here ever eaten rice and beans? Anyone know what rice and beans taste like? Do you know what you got to do to rice and beans to make them taste like ice cream? Something ain't right in that box. I don't know what they did, but it is not natural. But nonetheless, I got out one of these natural or unnatural ice cream substitutes and stuck that in the cart. And then we went to the cake department. And they got one of these 5,000 different, 5,000 different types of death by chocolate cake. You ever seen one of those? Stuck that in the cart. No, I just looked at him again. Because it's chocolate. You know what chocolate has in it, don't you? An infinitesimal amount of caffeine. <laughs> so I picked it up and I put that in the cart and I got one of those vanilla sugar-free diabetic cakes and stuck that in there. 
because somehow that which kills rats is better for you than caffeine. But who knows? Then we went to the soda aisle. Some of you are already worried. They got out a three-liter bottle of what is known as antifreeze, <clears throat> otherwise known as Mountain Dew. <laughs> and they stuck that in the cart. And this time I looked at them and I just reached for it. I think they felt more passionately about their Mountain Dew than they did their cake and ice cream. Because true story, the more vocal of the two picked up this three-liter bottle of Mountain Dew held it close to her body like an abandoned orphan child. She interposed her body between me and the substance. She stuck her left hand out. She said, hold on a minute, Herb. She said, you said that if we came here, you would let us have anything we chose. And since we've gotten here, you haven't let us have one thing we've chosen. I said, my dear friend, You didn't pay close enough attention to what it was I actually said. And I'm telling you, honestly, tonight, you really don't want to be my friend. Some of you have gotten to know me this week and you think, I'd be kind of neat to be Herb's friend. It wouldn't be. (laughs) And the reason is because when you least expect it, I will just use you to create sermon illustrations out of you at, (laughs) at, at your expense. Because they're better when you make them. Right, George? No, just kidding. Just kidding. I said, my friend, all I said was that if I brought you here, you could choose anything you wanted for your birthday. I never said you could have everything you chose. (laughs) And this is what I wanted. I made them drive seven hours for this next statement. She, without any thought, from the hip, her gut response was, Well, Herb, if I wasn't free to have what I chose, then I wasn't really free to choose it in the first place. How many would agree with her tonight? I let them go back and get whatever they wanted then. I just wanted to see if that's what she'd say, if that's how she'd respond. Because it's truth. If we're really free to choose, that freedom involves a certain sense of irrevocability. Say that word with me, irrevocability. If you're really going to give someone the freedom to have A or B, and you may want them to have A, but they choose B instead, if you've given them the genuine freedom to choose between those two things, and they choose something that you otherwise want them to, what can you do in that situation? Well, you can do something. You can do something. You could try to talk them out of it. You could try to warn them ahead of time not to do it. You could do everything in your power, but you cannot force it to go your way. Are you hearing me tonight? And we assume one of two things, that either God is actively involved or he's sitting there up on his laurels. I don't think that's it at all. I think even when something happens that he doesn't want to happen, he has been actively involved in it, trying to stop it, trying to prevent it. And you say, well, why does it still happen? Well, because God sometimes empties all of heaven to stop something. But even then, we still live in a world where even God doesn't always get his way. 
Why do bad things happen even though God is good? Because God has granted the children of men the ability to many times decide for themselves what happens on this planet and what does it. And some of you are saying, well, Herb, that works fine for rape and child molestation, but what about natural disasters? Sometimes the choices we make are not malicious. They're not direct. But the choices we make do indirectly set in motion things that hurt people, do they not? And the laws of nature were always intended by God to preserve life, not take it. And the only reason, I think natural, there's no such thing as a natural disaster. They're unnatural disasters. Are you hearing me? Because Mother Nature is operating in a way that God never intended it to. And why is she operating that way? Because of decisions we have made. Do you see that? And has God given us the freedom to choose how things happen down here? You say, well, Herb, what about the little baby? What about your situations? And I'll come back to that. It wasn't anything my wife and I chose, was it? And please tell me it was nothing we did. Are you hearing me? It wasn't because there was sin in our life. Are you hearing me tonight? And it wasn't because there was a lesson God wanted us to learn. Are you hearing me? Some of you said, well, you learned one though. That's a blessing after the fact. That is not why it happened. But my wife and I have a heritage. We have a genetic makeup that is the fruit of a long line of human choices, is it not? And now our bodies are functioning in a way that God never designed them to. And why are they functioning that way? Because of human choices somewhere. I'm thankful for the gospel, amen. Because when you look out at the way the world is today, to really take responsibility for the way the world is today and to place it squarely on our shoulders, I am thankful for a Savior. Amen? Amen. I am thankful for a Savior. And that's the only way we can let God off the hook is to take full responsibility for it ourselves. But to do that, we need a Savior to save us from the guilt, don't we? And we have that. In closing... There are four assurances you can take home with you this evening. There are some things that because of human freedom, God can't do. And some say, well, Herb, no, no, no. One day God's going to pull back the veil and he'll show you why he didn't over here and why he did over here. And I say hogwash. One day, yes, God is going to pull back the veil. But instead of showing us that, he's going to be showing us why he could intervene over here and why he couldn't over here. Is that a different picture of God? Not a God who, couldn't, who wouldn't, but a God who couldn't because he's given us freedom. And the world today, the postmodern world today is tired of a God who could have but didn't. They can worship a God. And maybe I'm postmodern. Because I can worship a God from my heart who gave it his all. And yet it didn't turn out the way he wanted I can love a God like that. Now, I can serve the other God. Are you hearing me? I can obey a God who didn't help me when I needed him. I can obey him because hell is hot. But I will never love a God like that. Are you hearing me tonight? I can love a God who got in there and slugged it out for me. 
but it just didn't turn out the way he wanted it to. I can understand a God like that. Revelation 21.4, He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain for the first things have passed away. That is assurance number one. That is one thing that we cannot indefinitely delay. We have delayed it, I believe. Sorry. We should have been in the kingdom ere this. But there is coming a day when he will bring all this to an end. Amen. And I know it's taking him a long time. But I think the reason is because of assurance number two. Nahum 1.9, why do you conspire against the Lord? He will make an utter end of it. Affliction will not rise up a second time. God, the, I think the reason it's taking God so long is not because it takes him a long thing, time to do things. I mean, seven days was enough the first time, right? I think the reason he's, it's taking so long is because when he brings it to an end, he has to bring it to such an end that history will never be repeated again. And I'm thankful for that. Take your time, God. Just make sure when we're done, we're done. Because I don't want to go through this anymore. I hope God buries the way that life has gone on this planet and we dance on its grave. Amen. Matthew 25, the third assurance is the king will answer and say to them, Truly I say unto you, to the extent that you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, even to the least of them you did it to me. What that says to me is there's nothing we can go through that someone else may do to us that they don't also do to God. When your will is being violated, it is his will that is being violated too. Never has a woman been raped, never has a man been murdered, never has a child been molested, where God himself was not murdered, raped, or molested in that individual. In all our afflictions, he is afflicted. Because he loves us, and he cannot help but hurt when the objects of his love are hurt. But the last one is my favorite. We know that God causes all things to work together for what? Good to those who what? Love God and are called according to His purpose. Amen. Amen. That doesn't mean God causes all things. And that doesn't even mean He causes all things for good. That doesn't even mean He allows some things for good. All it means is when we wreak havoc in someone else's life, or someone else wreaks havoc in our life, or we wreak havoc in our own life, that's the fruit of rebellion in a free environment. But God can still, by the miracle of His grace, come after the fact and bring blessings out of our foolishness. That is something to be thankful for. Now be careful... God's going to take something that's happened to you and start bringing blessings out of it. And when he does it, you're going to be tempted to think, well, this is why he let it happen so he can bless me like this. God doesn't need evil to do good. He can bless you whether there's suffering or not. Amen. He's not in partnership with the Bible or with the devil. Sorry. God has enough resources to bless you himself. But there is a miracle he can do afterwards, according to this verse, if we'll let him. If we'll let him in. Look at Genesis 50, verse 20. This is what I believe Joseph came to, the conclusion he came to. Joseph could have blamed God, could he not? It's amazing to me. Joseph didn't have a Bible 
All he had was hearsay from dysfunctional parents. And yet God led him to a, a, a picture of himself where he could look at all that he had gone through and he would not blame God for it. He could blame the human beings who did it to him, but he could also even let them off the hook. He told his brothers when, when they found out this was Joseph, don't be afraid and don't be upset with yourselves. The evil that you plan to do me has by God's design been turned to good. How many would like for God to take whatever has happened to you in your life and turn it around for good? How many would like that? That's what it's about, amen? He said, I can't stop it all. But if something happens to you, I promise you I can bring good out of it. I can bring good out of it. That is a miraculous promise. I don't know who you are tonight. I don't know which ones of you it is that are here, that are, are that are here. But I know nobody's told me any of your stories. I don't know anything about most of you. But I just know from statistics. I don't know which one you are, but I know you're here tonight. And I know you're listening to what I'm saying. And if you hear nothing else tonight, I want you to hear this. I don't know who you are. But when that was happening to you, the God of this universe did not turn a deaf ear to your cry. He did not abandon you in your hour of need. He did not disappoint you when you needed him to most than most. He did not hang you out to dry. When you cried out for him to make that stop, the God of this universe set all heaven in motion to stop that at that very moment. And you'll say, then why did it happen? Once again, because we live in a world where even God doesn't always get His way. We want a world where God won't make us love Him, but He'll make everyone else love us. And it doesn't always work that way. But if you'll let Him, He can come in tonight and take whatever it is that has wounded you, that has hurt you, that has violated you. He can take that and start to bring blessings from it. Not that you'll ever be thankful for it, but He can bring some of the greatest joys into your life now because of it. And that's much more abounding grace. Amen. God's grace doesn't just abound in the place of our sin. But even where others have sinned against us, His grace much more abounds. Amen. How many tonight would like to give God permission to come into their life and to turn some of those most painful moments in your life around for good? To create, to make those some of the greatest sources of joy in your life. Let's pray tonight, shall we? Precious Heavenly Father, as we close. Lord, we have rushed through a very difficult topic. We've given intellectual answers when it's our heart that needs reached. Father, my prayer tonight is that you'll take the words that have been shared here and that you'll translate those into what every person here needs.
And Father, whoever it is here tonight that has gone through what I consider to be the worst way to suffer. My prayer is that you'll strengthen their heart to believe that they can trust you again. That you love them. That you didn't intend this for them. That if your will could have been done in their life, that would have never happened to them. An enemy has done this. God, please, for your sake. In your precious name we pray. Amen. There's a miracle in my story. After the loss of those two children, we have two incredibly beautiful children now. We have three, but two after that that are medically unexplainable. And I'm going to share that with you tomorrow morning. Some will say, well, Herb, what about the book of Job? We're going to go there too. There's something really... I'm 34, so forgive how I say this. There is something downright cool in the book of Job that I want you to see tomorrow. It'll bless your socks off. So be here. (laughs) Come early. Grab a seat. And uh, we'll see you there. God bless you. Have a great night. Happy Sabbath.